Okay, as we uh, wait for them to go ahead and exit off the platform, um, I'm going to invite David Grant to come up next. He's going to be giving his testimony today. everybody. <clears throat> I want to start out by saying that uh, I never went to Sunday school or church, but very a little bit when I was young. And <coughs> excuse me, I uh, was emotionally, well, verbally and physically uh, abused. And uh, quite a bit and and I my mother uh, was kind of split personality I guess you'd say She took a knife and threw it at me, but I uh, dodged it, and it stuck right in the wall sticking out there. And I thought, wow, because I knew she wasn't done yet, so I ran, I ran for the door, but she uh, caught me, and she got my head and started banging it on the wall, and I was older then, so... Uh, my forehead was the height of a light switch, and she was banging my head on the light switch. And uh, so as I got older, I got really depressed. And uh, started thinking that the only way out was suicide. And uh, I made one attempt, and it didn't work, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I was, I pretty much bought into the evolution, and I didn't think there was God. And I was basically down the street one day, and a girl, we both stopped at the stoplight, and she said, do you know Jesus? And I said, I, I guess I don't. So she invited me to a Bible study at her house. I was about 23 then. And the first, the first night we were sitting on the floor and and uh, we were reading uh, Romans chapter 6. 
and I didn't understand the thing, anything. I, anytime I had looked at the Bible or anything or, or heard a sermon, it just was Greek to me. So I came back the next week, and we read chapter 7 of Romans. And, you know, it was all over. We were standing up, singing. And there was only nine people in the room. And I felt two hands placed on my shoulders. And it wasn't any of the eight. And it was the most loving, most peaceful feeling I've ever felt in my life. And uh, then I felt pressure, like need to kneel. And I knew what it meant. And I, I started to go down to my knees. And before my knees hit the ground, my body started shaking. And it was like every muscle in my body was having its own little 10.0 earthquake. I was just trembling extremely much. And I, I cried my eyes out for 15 minutes. And when I came to, you know, uh, there was uh, only two people left besides myself. And uh, they, I told them what happened, and they led me to say the sinner's prayer. And I was so happy. I was so happy I could not believe the, the relief of meeting the Savior like that. And I, I went home and I stayed up till two reading Luke, two in the morning, and then for the next three weeks I read all day long. I wasn't in, wasn't employed, and uh, I think that's it. He opened the scriptures to me. I could just it all went in. I understood it all, and I, I love my Savior. And I think of that song, uh, He Touched Me. He touched me, and He made me whole. Thank you. Thank you, David. Um, go ahead and invite Pastor Larry back up here. He'll be giving a sermon today. So everybody give him a warm welcome. Amen. Thank you, Chuck. Good morning, everybody. What a wonderful testimony, huh? Oh, beautiful. Thank you, David. Amen. And wonderful, wonderful choir we, we had up here this morning, huh? Wow. <laughs> Wow, what a blessing, what a blessing. <clears throat> Amen, everybody. Yeah, a lot going on, a lot going on. God is at work, and God is at work. Also, <coughs> I'm just coming to church. I got that little allergy. You know the allergies, the bonus and stuff? That's good to hear that, a little allergy happening. Uh, coming to church and then 
Brian does such a great job greeting out there, greeting Alfred. I heard him come in the Alfred and his son, Zion, come this morning. And you're just greeting people when they come in. It was such a gift. Thank you, Brian, for your gift. Amen. Amen. You know, this morning, uh, the, 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 all the countries are um, uh, participating, uh, you probably heard about, in the Winter Olympics in Beijing, China. So that's going to uh, go, I think, about another week. And, um, you know, God, talking about God at work, God has been at work in China with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, believe it or not. China is an atheistic country. It's a communist country, and their, their official religion is atheism. But <coughs> God has been at work. 1949, Mao Zedong uh, had a revolution in China, and he became the leader of the communist China. That's when it became a communist state, a communist nation. And he, had, he attempted at that time to wipe out all of Christianity in, uh, in his country, to wipe out Christianity. And he made attempts to do that, suppressed any kind of religious thinking, so much so that today <coughs> about 45% of, of those in China are atheists. 45%, almost half, do not believe in God. Um, but in spite of his efforts, in spite of his efforts to suppress biblical believers, to persecute biblical believers, God has been at work. And today, there are more Christians in China than communists. China is on pace in 2030 to be the, have the world's largest Christian population. God is at work in China. And you ask, how? How could this be? Well, one missionary to China says it this way. He says, God will always reveal himself to anyone who is seeking him. And that has been my experience in China. God has been at work revealing himself to those who have been seeking him. God is at work. And in the scripture we're about to read, God is at work revealing himself to a woman who will be seeking him. And she's seeking him in a conversation she's having with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, with that introduction, we're in the Gospel of John chapter, uh, John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 4 to 26. John chapter 4, verses 4 to 26. So if you're able and willing, and I think it's also going to be on the screen, if you'll stand with me and we'll read this together. And it says this. <clears throat> now, I'm talking about Jesus here. I'm beginning with verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour when a Samaritan woman came to him and drew water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come in here and draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. <clears throat> Sorry. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman replied, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we worship must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> may God's word be blessed. Yes. Like Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted, he was led by the Holy Spirit to this well to give his testimony. This woman would have a thirst for God, and she would be re revealed to her the truths of God. Jesus was led by the Spirit in everything he said, just like God wants to lead you by His Spirit in everything you say and everything you do. That's being living in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, living in the Spirit, and that's what God calls us to be. He calls us to be living in the Spirit. There's an outline in your bulletin. If you'd like to follow, you may. He calls us to live in the Spirit. Being living, living in the Spirit is to be, is to be empowered by God. Living in the Spirit is to be directed by God. Living in the Spirit is to be in touch with God. I like what David said, have God touched you? 
living in the Spirit. Jesus. Jesus is our model of living in the Spirit. Jesus is our model of how he wants us to witness. Witness in the Spirit. When we live in the Spirit, see, God, is, when we're in touch with God, he, he, he shows us how to relate in two ways. How to relate to those around us and how to relate to God himself. And so we're going to look at those two things this morning. First is this, how to relate as a witness to those who are around us. And the first way is this, we're to relate as a witness and witness in the Spirit. Witness in the Spirit. This is witnessing for Christ as the Spirit leads, witnessing for Christ to the people he leads you to meet. Jesus was on his way to Galilee. Verse 4. It says he had to go through Samaria. Those two little words have those two little words have a very big meaning. He had to go through Samaria. You see, Jesus was in Jerusalem. He was in wanted to go to Galilee, and in between was Samaria. Now, most Jews would not go through Samaria. The Jews in Jerusalem had a deep prejudice against the, the Samaritans. Why? Because hundreds of years earlier, there were a foreign people. You see, Samaria was the northern kingdom of Israel. And hundreds of years earlier, there was a foreign people that invaded Samaria. They intermarried with the Samarians. They even brought their foreign gods and foreign religions to the Samarians. And they all, they were adopted by the Samaritans. But the Samaritans said, well, we still worship Yahweh, Jehovah, The Jews saw them as a mixed race. They, were, uh, they said they were not real Jews. And matter of fact, their, their religion was adulterated. And they didn't want to be contaminated by going through. But you see, the straightest route from south to north was through the road of Samaria. A lot of Jews, a lot of Jews in Jesus' time went all the way around. It took them a long way to get there. But they wouldn't touch it. But Jesus, what? He had to. Those two little words again. See, if he was going to follow the Father's will, if he was going to live in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, he had to. Why did he have to? Because he had to confront the prejudice. He had to confront the hate. He had to show them that God loved the Samaritans. Why? Because God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Jesus went to Samaria, Samaria because the Spirit, he was, went to witness in the Spirit. He had an appointment. God had an appointment for him. Have you ever had an, uh, a situation where you felt it was God's divine appointment? You know, maybe, maybe you, you met somebody. You had, you did a, you, maybe you did a, a Christian act of love, a, Christian, a witness for Christ, and you said that was God's appointment. Jesus had an appointment. And God has appointments for you. Did you know that? He has appointments for you to witness in the Spirit. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. And when you do, when you make those appointments, build bridges of relationships. Build the bridges. 
as a witness for Christ. Jesus is the model here. Building a bridge, building a bridge across that gap of that prejudice creates. He's the model. Being led by the Spirit, taking the road that other Jews wouldn't take. Verse 5 and 6. It says this. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Sixth hour means it was 12 o'clock. You know, these verses here highlight the humanity of Jesus. Even though, even though Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son, even though John chapter 1 tells us he is God the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, even though, even though he is the perfect human being and the sinless Son of God, he had physical needs. He was on a, a journey. He was on a long walk. It was hot. It was noon. He was tired. Nice to know Jesus got tired. And he sat, he sits down on the well by this well. Not only was he tired, but he was, what? Well, I get a lot here. <laughs> thirsty. He was tired. He was thirsty. But I want you to know how he uses his human need here to build a bridge. You know, we can, our, our personal human needs are great opportunities to build bridges. I want you to see how Jesus did that. Jesus, sitting at this well, uh, is, uh, here comes this woman, this woman to the well. And what does he do? He humbly, humbly asks her to help him. Can you give me a drink? Uh, you know, personal relationships are built uh, by personal communication. And this woman was so shocked by the personal communication by this Jew. Uh, what did she say? Let's look at it. Let's look at it. She was just beside herself. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said, you're a Jew. <laughs> I'm a Samaritan. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews don't, they don't associate with Samaritans. She was shocked. What was Jesus doing? He was using this opportunity. Yes, he asked her not only because he had a need that was real, but he asked her because he wanted to build a relation, uh, uh, build a bridge of relationship to witness in the spirit. And he shows us how to do that. He shows us how to cross boundaries. He shows us how to reach out. You know, there's an uh, interesting statistic. Christianity Today says that uh, new research has found that 20% of non-Christians in North America don't really do not personally know any Christians. That's one in five. One in five non-Christians don't personally know any Christians. And then it asks this, the report said this. It says, what is the biggest factor to this surprising number? Immigration. Many immigrants come from countries that have very little Christian witness. 
and they join existing immigrant communities. And they, in, in these relationships, they rarely cross the boundaries. Uh, relationships rarely cross, uh, uh, relationships across these boundaries are rare. And Christians that live by, close by, that also do not cross the boundaries to build relationships. And the Christianity today says it this way. That begs the question, how can you love your neighbor if you don't even know him? We cannot isolate ourselves as Christians. We, got, we cannot uh, isolate ourselves. We got to get, get, move past those borders, move past those Samarias in our lives. Cross, cross over. Move out. Make communication. Do what Jesus did. You know, you might even get involved in some kind of community activity. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, get to know non-believers. Step out, communicate. Get to know non-believers. It might, it might mean getting uh, involved in, in your community if, if that's possible. I'm, I'm proud of my wife. Uh, Tess, is, uh, she got involved with uh, this... Um, La Loma Native Garden, you know, it's right down here in Encina. And she just uh, got involved in a committee there. They're going to have a um, pollinator festival. What is it, Modesto Pollinator Festival in April, love? Isn't that what it is? And so she's making these beautiful uh, butterflies and things for there. But that's just one example. You know, reach out. You know, you might, you might befriend your neighbor. You might befriend your co-worker. Have dinner together. Go to a game. Go to a show. The point is, make the effort to get out beyond the church family. God bless our church family, but we got to get outside. we we got to move outside to those Samarias beyond. If we're going to reach the people God wants us to reach, witnessing in the Spirit. Rena's not here today, but uh, she had brought her, uh, uh, John, uh, you might remember John came a few times, and she shared with me how she, he is her neighbor and how she, God led her to lead him in the prayer to receive Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? That's what an example that is. So building, building bridges of relationships and... Bring the good news of the gospel. Bring the good news of the gospel. What is that good news? The good news is this. God has sent Jesus Christ to us to save us from our sins. Our sins separate us from God. That would separate us from all eternity. If it were not for Jesus. But, but, but putting faith in Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of sins, we're united with God, and we're given eternal life. That's the gospel message. That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus is about to share. That is, he's, he's starting to create in this woman a, a curiosity. Let's take a look at verse 10. He's starting to create, purposely create a curiosity in her, and he says it this way. If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him for it. You would ask him, and he would give you living water. He would give you living water. See, Jesus speaks of himself, and he speaks of the living water that he gives. Jesus Christ 
is cultivating in this woman an interest, a desire, a thirst. You know, before anyone can come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they have to have an interest. They have to have a desire. They have to have a thirst. Just like, you know, Jesus here is using the physical things, as he often does, to teach spiritual truths, right? Just like we have a physical thirst for water, we should all have a physical thirst for God. Psalm chapter 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. Having a thirst. You know, when you're witnessing in the Spirit, it's helping someone else have a thirst for God. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's helping this woman to have a thirst for God. You have to be living in the Spirit. You have to be led by the Spirit. You have to be bearing the fruit of the Spirit. If people are going to see the Spirit in you and have that desire to want to know what you got. And to want what you got. And when people give a testimony like David did this morning so beautifully, they're going to want it. They're going to be thirsty for God. Jesus was creating a thirst in this woman. She was becoming thirsty for what Jesus had to offer. Chuck, Chuck Smith, founder of Calvary Chapel, says it this way. He talks about witnessing. He says, <clears throat> saying it doesn't make you a witness. Living it does. Living it does. Living it does. Live, may, uh, 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 witness, live your life as a witness for Christ. Live your life as a witness for Christ. And this woman's curiosity was being piqued. Let's look at verse 11. She's really interested now. She goes like this. Verse 11. The woman says, you have, you have nothing to draw from in the well. Where can you get this living water? She's getting interested in this living water. You know, the analysts, religious writer, analysts, uh, wrote about the, what's going on in China and the spiritual thirst of the people in China and uh, uh, the, what's causing them to come to Christ. And, the, and she writes it this way. She says, amid China's economic boom and rapid modernization, experts point to the emergence of a spiritual vacuum as a trigger for the growing number of religious believers, and she names specifically Christians. In other words, China is modernizing. They are uh, prospering. They are, you know, things are going boom. But with an atheist official religion, there's a vacuum. And God is using that to create a thirst to draw people to Jesus Christ. There's got to be a thirst. There's got to be an interest. As Jesus was witnessing to this woman, her spiritual interest was growing. Her spiritual desire was growing. So she asked him a question. So she, her question now asked is about him himself. Look at verse 12. She says, about you, Jesus. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Who gave us a well to drink from? You know, she's asking about Jesus himself. And then Jesus gives her the answer that has the whole gospel within it. Verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 and 14, here it is. Jesus says this. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Mm. You know, we learn in verse 10 that this, this water is given as a gift. We learn in verse 10 that this water is received by Jesus Christ. Verse 14 tells us it's a water. When it, you receive it, it lives in you. Not only does it live in you, but it, it springs up into eternal life. What is this water? John chapter 7 tells us the water is the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ you receive when you ask Jesus into your heart. When Jesus comes in, because eternal life is in Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. God has eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Eternal life, the living water, is found in Jesus Christ. When she asked Jesus, and then, and then she asked him, she asked him, for the water. Please give me this water that I might drink. What does Jesus do? He says, go call your husband. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is gently revealing to her in her own heart her own sin. You see, when God reveals himself to us, he also reveals our sin. So that we understand, we, forgiveness is available if you put faith in Him. If you put faith in Him, forgiveness is there. Jesus wanted her to see her own forgiveness because that's the that's sin Jesus died for. You know, Jesus died for her sin, and He died for your sin, and He died for my sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus is the only one who could have paid that price for all the sins of the world. David, you talked about Romans 6 when you went to that Bible study. Well, Romans 6, verse 23 says it right there. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus came to save us. And he was living in the spirit here, witnessing in the spirit here to this woman, building the bridges of a relationship, bringing the good news and the gospels. So we're to, as we live in the spirit, we're to witness in the spirit. Secondly, we are to worship in the spirit. Verse 19 and 20. Verse 19 and 20, Jesus responds to, to, to her, and he, he shows that he knows all about her. I know that you've had five husbands. I know that the person you're living with is not your husband. And she sees, she says, I see now, I see, I understand that you are a prophet. She says, she sees him as a man of God. She knows that he speaks for God. And so now she turns the conversation to the worship of God. She says, well, you, you Jews said you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. We're, we're, the, we're the Samaritans worship, say, over here at the mountain. You know, she, was, she really wanted an answer. This was a debate that had been going on for a long time. Between the Jews and the Samaritans, the, the place, the location of the worship. So she brings it up to Jesus. Let's take a look. Verse 24, 20, uh, 21 and 22. She says, and Jesus, Jesus says it this way. He answers her question this way. I'm sorry. 
Verse 19 and 20. Let's go back to 19 and 20. She says, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. But you know what? After Jesus was, was to die for our sins, be resurrected, be at the right hand of the Father, as Casey said this morning, the Bible tells us there's only one place that where you can worship the Father. And there's only one place, and that is Jesus Christ himself. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. It would not be a question of where, but it would be a question of who. Who you worship and how you worship. Jesus said in verse 22a, the first part of verse 22, New Samaritans worship what you do not know. He was talking about the, the fact that they incorporated all these foreign gods, that, that they had all these foreign religious practices. They had some of the Old Testament. They had the Pentateuch. But they didn't have all of the Bible. The Jews had all of the Bible. Their knowledge was partial. They didn't have the full revelation of God's word. The Jews had the God's word. And Jesus said in John 17, 17, to God the Father in heaven, Dear Father, your word is truth. See, God, a lot of people think today the Bible is a book of, myth, uh, uh, of mythology, fairy tales. Some people think the Bible is uh, made up miracles with a moral. But the Bible is the truth of God in the Word of God, and it is, a, it is a histor an historical book of God's dealing with His chosen people. Journalist and doctor of law, Werner Keller, wrote a book called The Bible as History. And he writes in a lawyer's fashion, he writes about how the Jews recorded uh, what God was doing in there uh, with them and how he spoke to them. And he says it like this, and I quote, The Jewish people wrote their history in the light of their relationship with Yahweh. Nevertheless, the events themselves, talking to me about the events in the Bible, are historical facts and have been recorded with an accuracy that is nothing less, less than startling. It is an historical account. The Bible is not a book of mythology. It's a book of history. It's God working with his people. It's the word of truth. The word of God is the word of truth. And Jesus said that, 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 that salvation comes from the Jews. Why? Because salvation, the Messiah comes from the Jews. That's why. The Messiah comes from the Jews. Verse 25. Verse 25, the woman, the woman tells him she knows the Messiah is coming. That's one thing she does know. She knows the Messiah is coming. <laughs> oh, what a perfect setup. And when he comes, he's going to explain it all. What a perfect setup, huh? What does Jesus say? I who speak to you am he. Wow. There it is. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Allergies. Living in the Spirit is to worship in the Spirit with a mind to see the truth. You know, I think I skipped. <laughs> I'm going back it up a little bit. With a mind to see the truth. And secondly, that was with a mind to see the truth. And now with a heart 
and know the truth. God will always reveal himself to those who seek him. Notice in verse 23, notice that true worshipers are not the only ones doing the seeking. Let's read it again. Verse 23 of John 4 says it this way. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Who else is doing the seeking? God the Father. God the Father. God is, is, is doing the seeking. Not only do true worshipers seek God, but God is seeking true worshipers. He's, wor he's seeking worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Those who will worship him with honesty and with sincerity. Those who will worship him wanting to communicate with him. And he, and he, those to whom he can communicate. God is looking for seeking worshipers that he can reveal his holiness, his power, his wisdom, his knowledge, his mercy, and his love. He's seeking worshipers that he can communicate by his spirit. You know, the only way you can fellowship with God is by his spirit. God is spirit. John 4, 24, it says it right there. God is spirit. If you want to worship him, you've got to worship him in spirit. In spirit and in what? Truth. In the truth of his word and by the help of the Holy Spirit. That's how God is worshipped. If there's no Holy Spirit, there's no worship. If there's no heart, there's no worship. The story is told of a man who went to church one day with an angel as his guide. Every seat in the church was filled, but there was something very strange about this church service. The piano player moved her hands over the fingers, or I'm sorry, moved her fingers over the keyboard, but the music could not be heard. The choir rose to sing, and you could see their lips moving, but there was no sound. The preacher uh, stood up to read from the scripture, and he, he turned the pages, and the man with the angel there uh, was listening, observing, and he couldn't even hear the rustling of the pages. They all started to recite the Lord's Prayer, the whole congregation, but no syllable was audible. The man was getting very confused. The preacher went up to the pulpit. He could see that he started to preach. He made gestures just like he was trying to make his points. But the man heard nothing. Turning to the angel, the man asked him, I don't understand. What does this all mean? I see a service being held, but I hear nothing. The angel told him, you hear nothing because there's nothing to be heard, at least from heaven's ears. You see, see, everyone here is just going through the motions. Nothing they do means anything. If you're not worshiping from your heart, you're not worshiping. It's got to be a heart to heart with God. Amen. We worship God in spirit, in spirit and in truth. When you worship him to know the truth, you worship him with your heart to know God, 
You worship him to fellowship with God. You worship to communicate with God and God with you. That's worship. Worshiping in the spirit, worshiping in truth, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. Live in the spirit. Live in the spirit. Live in the spirit. What does it mean? It means the witness in the spirit. It means the worship in the spirit. And those are both things that this woman learned to do. Listen now. Not only did she become a believer in Jesus Christ, but it's written about her. She became the first great witness after John the Baptist. Let's look. Let's look. Verse 39 and, 40, 39 and following. She goes back to her hometown and she begins to tell the people what happened. And let's take a look at what happens. Verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. <laughs> then when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he did. Jesus, he stayed with them for two days. And because of his words, many more believers came. Then they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because you told us. <laughs> now we've heard him ourselves. We know this man really is the Savior of the world. She brought a whole town to Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> wow. Wow. Will you be a witness like the woman at the well? Will you live in the Spirit? Witnessing in the Spirit, worshiping God in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your inspired word that inspires us, Lord. Thank you for your Spirit that comes to live within us, Lord, and lifts us. Lord, as we look into your word and as we just behold your beauty and your grace and your love, thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus. So we can know you, Lord, and tell others about you, too. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't yet made that decision to invite you in, and to, Lord Jesus, to invite you in their hearts, that this be that time just to open the heart, Lord, and ask for you to come in. That living water, ask for your living water. Jesus, hear our prayers. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray.